Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian. We're talking everything European football, and there is a big, fat smile on my face. Wow, can't even speak. <laughs> can't even speak. I'm so excited. You know what? I'm going to run with this. This is going to be the intro. I, there's a big, fat smile on my face. That's what I meant to say. Um, we are recording on a Tuesday uh, because I'm going to need one last update, by the way, from you on The Bachelor, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, Real Madrid have lost again to Barcelona uh, in the Clasico. We will be starting there, and then we'll shift focus towards the Premier League because I'm still riding cloud nine after a 90-second-minute winner from Frank Kessie. And boy, oh boy, Rian, I'm going to be insufferable for the next hour. All right, before we get into anything football-related, um, can I get my Bachelor update for, for the week? I, we're, like, almost done this season, right? Yeah, we're one week away now. Um, we just had like the hometowns, and I don't think there's an episode that I'm missing tonight. But honestly, I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> there might be. I can't remember if this is actually because the last two weeks of it um, is always, or at least uh, Monday and Tuesday of one of the last couple weeks, and then I, I think that no, I think that the last one's next week because I. I I think I remember the ads at the end of last night's episode saying the, the finale's next week. But well, don't talk anyway, about it for any of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> next week is when it'll be Monday and Tuesday night, I think. But um, yeah, we're through Hope Towns, and it's it was uh, it was a funny one because uh, our guy who's been pretty who's been like mostly making the right decisions for the entire uh, the entire run here uh, and we're coming down to like the fantasy suites week where he's down like his last three girls and then he gets to spend a night with all of them and uh he probably handled that in the worst way possible by trying not to have sex and then having sex with one of them and then like telling <laughs> telling the girl that he slept with that he's gonna tell the other girls that he like broke his own promise and then telling the next girl, bef- like at the beginning of their date, that he broke his own promise, and <laughs> and making things just super awkward, like just really this, awkward, for, like the rest of the, the date uh, almost. A very uncommonly heard lose lose in in all. Yeah, of us. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, ever, truly, everyone lost. Um, it was just he just just the most awkward situation possible, and the guy just kept making it making it more and more awkward by telling the just being too truthful really. uh but anyway fun one we're, we're set up for for a funny last couple episodes here yeah it never uh never goes smoothly on the bachelor or the bachelorette does it it's uh always uh, america tunes in for people just seeing people's love lives fall apart in front of their their eyes because it probably makes everyone feel better about themselves so that's uh american entertainment in a nutshell but i did not watch The Bachelor last night. I haven't, I was telling you this before we started recording. I need to watch episode uh, one of the new season of Ted Lasso. That's what I've, I've got my homework to do. I'm very excited to watch it. I've heard amazing things about it. So that's going to be my, my number one thing. Um, what I would say is if there are any listeners right now and you have, I don't know, any recommendations on good TV shows that are not the bachelor let me know i'm open to suggestions um i gotta i gotta get through new stuff anyway anything else did i miss anything else i think i got your bachelor update life update i got 
before i won't spill all the beans there's no real life update i don't know what i'm yeah yeah about. Wasn't, <laughs> yeah but how about, how about? <laughs> really uh, much there. um all right you want to talk football can we yeah you know i'm excited yeah. i am so i know, you're, I know right you're ready <laughs> i let me start off by just saying like i mentioned at the top of the the program we're gonna be starting with a classico and I was thinking about this game, obviously doing the research and stuff the day before, but I was thinking about this game quite literally on the train ride home. Um, I was doing it about 20, 30 minutes ago, maybe not that long ago. And I, I don't know how to explain this, but I legitimately almost started getting emotional, like thinking about this win. And I want to just set the tone because I haven't felt this way and this sort of passion for this team in like four or five years, like truly like that level of commitment to a team for absolutely no reason other than just pure joy behind watching football. And look, Barcelona are not perfect <laughs> as, as evidenced by lawsuits and financial issues and all of that. But I felt, I felt a real sort of connection to the team this weekend. We're going to get into all of that. I, I just, I don't know. I can't explain it. I was like truly just, overjoyed um maybe it was the fact that this sets us up to likely win la liga for the first time in four plus years i, I don't know there was there was just something really joyous about this weekend that's why i'm so so giddy about it but rian let, let's jump into it i want to start with um the the game itself going into this game real madrid were coming off the back of a midweek win against liverpool obviously a narrow win but they were up very much on aggregate and had played basically their most competitive starting 11. Counter to that, Barcelona did not have a midweek game. Thank United for that. And they were, had or they had, I should say, a full week of rest. Let's talk about both of these teams going into this game. Um, what were your expectations? Let me just start there. Like, what did you expect going into the Classico? Because from my perspective, I thought it was one of the most high-level and entertaining Classicos. Let's put the 4-0 from last season aside for a second because I was very one-sided, but from a classical perspective, like I think it, it lived up to the expectation. Yeah. I think going, going into it, I probably, I, I don't know. I, I feel like probably these, these last couple haven't felt like both teams are at their peak, of course. And I think you can say that for the last few years, honestly, but, um, or at least not being at their peak at the same time in the, at least, but, uh, no, this was a really entertaining game. Uh, I think I expected it to be entertaining, but because of like what you said, I, I think neither of these two teams are very are. Uh, I mean, not close to perfect. I mean, there there are really there's there are really almost no perfect teams in in Europe. Uh, obviously, other than Napoli, but um, there. <laughs> Just they are not close for the to record that. before you go any further. That state that statement is purely for monetary and betting purposes only, and Rihanna is speaking into existence. Continue. They are the most perfect team in Europe. Like I can't think of a single flaw. But um no, I think that like these two teams you watched kind of how Barca played against um Manchester United, you watched Real Madrid's game against Liverpool, uh both sides who I think are pretty are fairly close to Barcelona and Real Madrid's quality level right now. And those are really open games and really entertaining open games. I know there was 5-2 in the first leg for Madrid, but that was a really open and entertaining 5-2 um, game. And then same thing for 
the second leg of that in the one nil um win and and both legs for Barcelona against Manchester United were really open and and very entertaining. So uh, I'm not su- I'm not surprised at the entertainment level from from this game. Like it was I'm not surprised at the entertainment level. I'm also not surprised that kind of the I mean really overall Barcelona were were much better for or controlled and created a lot more of the chances for about 80 minutes of the game, 75 to 80 minutes and Real really only put together a little flurry of of um attacks and obviously got very close to, to stealing a winner um with Marcos Asensio but you know the first goal is a complete fluke and then they did pretty much nothing for most of the rest of the game like, I mean obviously they they threatened a bit on the counter but like Barcelona were better and they and they've been better team all season and I feel like it's Groundhog Day whenever I talk about this Real Madrid team because I, I'll just keep saying the same things that are that are uh, that I think have been pretty deficient with them in the last few years. But uh, I thought Camavinga was great, and I think like and he's been really good recently, and that's huge for Real. Um, have, having him and Chuameni develop into the guys who take over um, that midfield, which is desperately day by day being seen as more and more necessary um but i think overall it was a, it was wildly entertaining game yeah i love that it, it definitely was entertaining I, and i agree with your first point this fixture hasn't really lived up quote unquote to the expectations over the last couple of years like let, let's be honest it's not the classicos of 10 15 years ago it's different but i think the show that we saw on sunday and i'll call it a show i guess is very much reminiscent of two teams that are still at a high level. Maybe not absolute world best, you know, one, two, or three, but they are still playing at a very high level and do possess and maintain world-class players. And I think we can both say that in confidence. Now, you mentioned two things, right? One, Barcelona being the better of the two teams over the course of 80 minutes, with that exception being, of course, that kind of 10-minute spell towards the end where Real Madrid really had to go for it. Otherwise the league was really kind of out of reach, even with just a draw. Um, but going into this game, I think the one thing to, to remember is Barcelona have won six out of their seven games in all, I believe in all competitions, but it's, I think this actually is more relevant for La Liga um, with Araujo, Kunde, Christensen, and Balde as their back line. And we saw that exact back line again as well. And there is something to be said about the back line that's played in the second half of the season versus the back line that's played in the first half of the season against, let's say, Inter and Bayern. We've talked a little bit about this, but that back line against Inter, I will never forget at home, that 3-3 was basically, I think it was um, Marcus Alonso, Eric Garcia, Sergio Roberto, and Ronald, Ronald Araujo. Um, very different, like it, literally night and day. Um, and that made it a very, very big difference. You talked also a little bit about Kamavinga, and I think he absolutely deserves his flowers, right? Kamavinga was probably one of Real Madrid's better players. Um, I think a lot of their progression in transition into a counterattack came at least from one touch from him. And the problems, I think, stem largely from, quite frankly, Vinicius and Benzema. Like, they did not have good games. Benzema especially did not have a good game and was marked very closely by, by Kunde. Just to put into perspective, Rian, 
Vinicius had six dribbles in this game. And obviously this Vinicius versus Arojo battle has kind of been like one that's talked about a lot. How many of those six dribbles do you think he completed? Don't look at my notes. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, not. Uh, I'm going to guess one. He completed two. So you, gave, <laughs> you, I'm actually giving him a little bit more credit than you were going to give him. But he very much tried to come inside every time he was dribbling on on that left hand side and kind of just became predictable. And and were there a couple times where he got the uh, the better of Arojo? Absolutely. But what Xavi did with Arojo in allowing him to progress farther up the field in the attack was the reason why they scored the first goal. And I think it was very deliberate. I think it was very deliberate to leave space in behind, knowing that Kunde or in a lot of cases, Christensen as well could cover. So Vinicius and Benzema just could not find strong enough positions and created quite honestly, not many very clear cut chances other than, you know, Rodrigo's shot that he sailed over the bar. Yeah, it was honestly pretty, really disappointing. Not even pretty disappointing, really disappointing from uh, Real Madrid point of view, considering that they had nine of their 10 shots in the game in the second half. And, you know, you kind of said it there, the last, that kind of flurry at the end, um, maybe more from them realizing that, oh, a draw actually does nothing for us here, really. But a draw did nothing for them the entire game. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't know why things changed in the last 10 minutes. Uh, I, I, I mean, I realized that you know, things changed, especially after Roberto's goal. And that was at the end of the first half. And Real only had one shot the entire first half. <laughs> and, and they realized second half that that, yeah, draw does nothing for them. But in general, uh, I, I just, I just find it more and more um, surprising every time I realize that Real won the league last season fairly comfortably by the end as well. Um, and I think, was it two years ago that Atletico won the league, right? And and, uh, and that was like a not very good year for Barca or Real Madrid. Um, last season was a was a heavily transitional season for, for Barcelona as they start to begin their rebuild. And it just kind of brings up this question for, for me to you, Elias, on we already kind of touched on the fact that quality wise, it's not quite the same as past classicos. This was a really entertaining game, like regardless of any of that. Um, but in general, in the last like maybe last four years, even, even maybe going back to before Barcelona's last um, league title, it's felt like, at least in the league, or whether you want to bring Europe into it as well, I can't remember the last season that both Barcelona and Real Madrid were, you know, very, very, very high level at the same time, uh, whether it's from league play or whether it's from um, the actual uh, Europe, like European competition where... I mean, I don't know the last time that both sides even made it to a quarterfinal at the same time, um, let alone a semi. But I guess my kind of question to you is, is how do you feel like this is the how, how much the quality has dropped off from, I mean, not even, we don't have to go back like 10 years, because obviously that was like 
a golden era <laughs> realistically for both for both um those like late 2000s to uh early 2010s both both sides were the two best teams in the world but i guess have you felt that quality drop off from from whether it's from these these this game in general like classicos um or from these two sides how much of that drop off have you felt if if any so that's that's a good question. I, I think I think the drop off has been it, it, it's been somewhat significant, right? I don't think there's there's much of a way of sugarcoating it. And to answer your question, I I think 2015 was maybe the last time that both these teams were in at least a semifinal. I, I don't know about a, a, a quarterfinal. Um, that might have been later, but I think the the big thing is that you're starting to see this power shift right away from maybe leagues and more so towards these sort of super teams. Like have we've seen with every team that comes to mind when you think of a super team. Right. And a lot of that is influenced by money. And a lot of that is influenced by quite frankly, resources. And that I think does affect how even the, the biggest teams in the world that aren't state funded, for example, actually do business and it affects how much business they can do. And so for both of these teams in the same way that, for example, United will always be mainstays in world football. They will always be classic historical sides that players want to play with, but money does talk in this business. And we've seen that for the last several years. I mean, we've seen it throughout history, but we've seen it especially in the last 20 years. So to answer your question, the, the fall off has been somewhat sizable, but at the same time, these two teams will very much continue to be very big players across Europe and certainly in, in Spanish football. And the best of these players will still be involved with their national teams, the Spanish national team. But it's fair. I think it's completely fair to say that the quality of those players has begun to slightly decline because it's all relative and it's may not be that the players themselves are declining but more so relative to other players that have or other teams i should say that have so much so much more in resources it it makes life a little bit more difficult yeah and look we're still i think i what two years removed from not having fans in every single game and teams having that revenue and whatnot. And, and so I think we'll, we'll see really the next couple years, if this is really just like, a, Oh, this is still like the COVID financial impacts of COVID still kind of lingering or is, has this the kind of uh, growing, growing pie that is being taken by some, specifically the Premier league is that, really something that's that having huge downstream effects on, on on even the super other super clubs like Barcelona and, and Real Madrid. Um, just to stick on Madrid for one second here. They're in a familiar spot. The league is gone. <laughs> um, and they are in a position where they can make it to another Champions League final, uh, or should I say their full attention has now turned to the Champions League again, a familiar story for, for Real Madrid. Um, I just wonder now, I, I think they'll probably be relatively 
encouraged by the draw of getting Chelsea. Uh, they're not going to be encouraged by the teams that they're going to have to play if they beat, if they get past <laughs> Chelsea. But, um, I wonder now, uh, and then, you know, I, I have my feelings about how, how, how that tie might go. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot in the coming weeks, but I wonder now if, Madrid were to not make it to the semifinals and yes, coming off a season where they uh, won the league, they won the champions league last season. Uh, they're league champions in the lot, three of the last four seasons. Is that correct? Or two, two of the last three, at least, but either way, Carlo Ancelotti having coached them to such, such success last season and the season prior, it's going to be an interesting one in the summer if they don't actually make it to the semifinals and they don't win the league and they lost to Barcelona four times in one season and they still are in the middle of kind of a transition. So you you make some really, really interesting points that I've thought a lot about over the last two days. And I, I'm going to make three separate points. So So stick with me for a second. The biggest point that I'm going to make is... Real Madrid and Barcelona's success and failure is so delicately tied to each other. And that's one of the most incredible things about this rivalry. Real Madrid and Barcelona still have the second leg of the Copa del Rey to go. Barcelona are up 1-0. The second leg is back at the Camp Nou. It's in early April, right after the international break. So it's very much a return of what we just saw this past weekend. It's going to be the fifth Clasico this season, which is I mean, great for everybody to watch. But that game isn't over. Right. And Real Madrid will certainly be pushing for that. They will still have the potential to go through. Same with Barcelona. Separately of that, think about it this way. If Real Madrid go on to actually win the Champions League and Barcelona do go on to win three, potentially three trophies, La Liga, the Spanish Super Cup and the Copa del Rey in one season after going trophyless for the last three, basically, that's a pretty... That's a pretty successful haul for, for Xavi in his second season. But it will never be viewed as that because Real Madrid potentially could win the Champions League. You'll always be compared to your bitter rival in the sport and more importantly in La Liga as well. So their success and failure is so delicately tied. Now back to your question. If Real Madrid do not make the semifinal, that's a big problem. I think that's where things get really, really tricky for Carlo Ancelotti. In fact, I think he could probably leave on his own accord at that point. And more importantly, Real Madrid season would certainly be viewed as more of a failure, and Barcelona is subsequently would be viewed as more of a success. They're so delicately tied to each other. This is the last point I'm going to make, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more over the, the next week because the, the, the first leg of the quarterfinals are not until the second week of April, I believe. This tie between Chelsea and Real Madrid is probably the tie, in my opinion, that is best primed for an upset. And I think that, I think back to, look, a different situation, but in 2019, or was it 2019? I believe it was 2019. Maybe it was 2020 when Chelsea yeah, 20, won the champ. Thank you. 2020. Thank you. Um, when Chelsea won the Champions League, that team was not very doing very well in the league. That was not a very strong Premier League team week in, week out. And granted, Thomas Ducal has very different level experience in the Champions League than Graham Potter. but it seemingly looks like those pieces on the field, as we've talked about last week, 
are starting to click together and understand each other on the pitch. And that's not the kind of team that you want to play in a knockout situation in, in football because this champions, or I mean the champions league in general, but this season is, is just going to be a matter of moments, especially on this side of the bracket. And I think to a Real Madrid team that yes, they have everything to play for in the champions league and also everything to lose, but over 180 minutes, I, I, I think right now it's relatively even, but again, it's, it's either, like I said last week, really like primed for Real Madrid to smack Chelsea and this is over after the first leg or complete opposite and Chelsea come out like all guns blazing and they, they fully go through. There's no middle ground for me. Yeah. Look, it'll, we, we will have a lot of time to talk, talk about that time, but um, I think just to, to stick on that, like slightly, even if Madrid were to make it past Chelsea and they come up against a uh, Manchester city or Byron side, who I think that we would probably both say are much better, uh, much more talented squads and play better as a team. Um, <laughs> if they were to come up and get embarrassed in, in one of those legs, which feels definitely plausible um, <laughs> considering those, those teams. But if that were to happen, I think that Carl Ancelotti would also would still be in a, a very, very hot seat by the end of the season. So. 100%. Yeah. I, I, either way you kind of slice it, he's, he's in a pretty tough position. Um, I just want to wrap up on the El Clasico piece and give Chavi his flowers um, and, and also give two players who I give, mainly a lot of shit to one of them, but I'll explain in a second. Xavi has won all but one Classico that he's managed in. He's managed now five, I believe five Classicos. No, maybe even six. I'm, I'm blanking on, on my head now, but that's an impressive haul for a new manager. And I saw a tweet, uh, a couple of, I think this was, I saw it for the first time back when the 4-0 happened at the Bernabeu. And it basically said, Real Madrid are feared by everyone and respected by everyone in Europe and Barcelona are the only team that Real Madrid respects <laughs> seemingly enough. And I just find that really funny because it's in a lot of ways true. And, and of course, a lot of ways not, but you have to give Xavi a lot of flowers for being able to adapt with a team that is still very much in progress. You have to give him credit for being able to adapt a four-man midfield. I don't think it's something that he wants to continue using, but he he has to keep using in order to balance this team against the opponents that they play. It, it's something that I think he's matured a lot around as, as a manager this season. And I, of course, have to give my flowers to Sergio Roberto for now having as many goal contributions in Classicos as Tony Kroos and Luka Modric combined, which that's that shouldn't exist. But... He has scored four goals this entire La Liga season, which I believe is on track for his highest. And right now, Barcelona are on track to continue up to a goal or a point tally of 99 points if they do win the rest of their games, which would be very close to obviously the, the highest tally ever, which was 100 plus. So just keep that in mind that Xavi does deserve his, his credit. And, and Frank Kessie, of course, was going to be my last shout out. That's all on the Glasgow front. Yeah, I think that's that's it for me on, on the Classico as well. Um, I know you didn't have much more to talk about in Spain, but before we move on, 
just going to give my own flowers as well to uh, Atletico Madrid and Celta Vigo, specifically because those teams since the World Cup, since coming back from the World Cup, have the second and third most points in the league behind Barcelona. I mean, obviously, huge, huge admiration to Atletico and Diego Simeone for them being able to turn around what was looking like a season where they were going to struggle to finish in the top four to now they should comfortably finish in the top four and, and, and maybe and probably have a chance to finish second as well. They're, they're five uh, points off Madrid right now. Yeah. yeah. And on the Celta side, a team that was fighting off relegation going to the World Cup, uh, come back and, and you know, change their manager, obviously, and have played some really, really beautiful football. And um, and also going to shout out Gab- Gabri Vega. I was uh, reading, I was reading a, a league column last week on, on the Athletic, and and uh, learned about that player. And he was, and I've and I've seen him play in a couple of the other games, but but uh, seems like a very exciting, as young Spanish player as well. Love that. Yes. No. I think those are fantastic shout outs. And and we were talking about before we started recording too. I like joked around like we could talk about how Atletico might be one of the best teams, if not the best team in Spain right now. I just don't want to talk about that largely because the two players that I think have made them in the best team in Spain in the last month, I would say, are two ex-Barcelona players in Antoine Griezmann and Memphis Depay. So once again, no one at Barcelona seemingly learned the lesson that don't give up some of your players to rivals for a potential title. Obviously, that's probably not the case this season, but for next season... Yeah, that might be a problem. Um, so, yeah, funny how how things work out because because both of those teams, I mean, Celta as well, are very we're very much in a, in a deep spot. I'll end on this note for everything La Liga, Rian. Um, Valencia have very much a shot of going down. That's a very real possibility now, and they are in the relegation zone, albeit you know there is like a three point gap between like twelfth and like eighteenth. But the funny thing about this is Levante in the second division have a chance of getting promoted the same season that Valencia could potentially go down. Levante, uh, of course, are, are based in, uh, in Valencia, but Levante have never finished above Valencia in La Liga history. And there's a, there's a potential for them literally to be an entire division above Valencia now by the end of the season. So just a funny tidbit and football makes no sense. As we've learned. <laughs> All right, love it. Oh, shall we take a break and then we'll come back with uh, with England? Let's take a break. We'll talk all about what's going on in the Premier League and why Arsenal are probably gonna, you know, win win that whole Premier League thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the pod. Welcome back to part two. We're talking everything related to the Premier League. We're gonna start with the league leaders, Rian. We have to start with a seemingly comfortable win against Fulham and what was probably a relatively comfortable win against Palace, albeit it was the first goal that Palace had scored in seven years. And um, Arsenal are on a tear and pretty much showing that they can win against any opponent in multiple different ways, um, both in the league and unfortunately no longer in the Europa League. But I'm sure... No Arsenal fan wants to hear about that. We'll focus on the Premier League for this part, but that is um, how many wins in a row now for Arsenal in the Premier League? Do you know? 
<laughs> that is six. And, and and that's coming after that little run where they lost to Everton, drew with someone that I'm forgetting right now, and then lost to Manchester City in that in that big game, right? And since then, they've come back and they've won six in a row in the league. And like you said, they, they've, they've won them in different ways and they played different styles. And that is kind of what I think makes them so good. Um, just looking back on the teams they've beaten in this run, they beat Leicester, who was a really good high-pressing team, ninth in the league in terms of passes uh, per defensive action. Really, that was that great defensive performance where I they didn't. They allowed like one or two shots in the entire game, and they didn't allow a shot until like the seventieth minute or something like that. Um, and you think about they they beat a team uh, in Everton, Villa, and Palace. Those three teams they're in the bottom half of pressing. They're going to sit off a lot more, play against lower blocks, handled those teams pretty pretty well, right? And then Fulham and Bournemouth, the the other two teams that they beat, who are both like far more direct. They're like top five in um, what Opta measures as direct speed, which is a measure of how quickly the team progresses the ball from you know back to front in terms of, and they they measure in meters per second. So three very different types of opponents that Arsenal handled, um, and what kind of gives them that ability to handle those different opponent styles is the fact that that I think unlike Manchester City and this is what I think gives Arsenal the has given Arsenal the edge the entire season uh is that Arsenal can play at any speed they can do that kind of slow play against low blocks that you know I mentioned with with um Everton Villa and Palace because they're tied for City for the highest percentage share of their 10 plus pass sequences that ended in a shot or a touch in the opponent's penalty box. So they can play against those low blocks. If a team wants to be aggressive and start high pressing them, as you saw with Leicester, Arsenal can play that way too. They've got the fourth most direct attacks, which again, another Opta measure um, where they measure that as like the number of open play sequences that start inside your own half and has at least 50% of the movement um, towards the opponent's goal, and it ends in a shot or, uh, or a touch in the opposition box. So they can play that way against high press. They can, they can handle high press. They can handle low blocks. And then they can also themselves play a high press against a team that's more of that kind of slower buildup. They have the most high turnovers and the most shots that um, – most high turnovers that end in a shot – in the league. So I think that's been the most just impressive thing about them the entire season. I love that they can play in multiple different ways and it doesn't feel like when they do it, it doesn't feel like they're going outside of kind of like their, the normal themes and patterns of play that you'd see them play in any sort of game. And it's where I found myself um, this season when I'm watching city at times they play one way, one speed. That's not how it's always been under Pep. They, like they've always been a more slower team, right? But and that's just the nature of his um, the way his teams play. But they will not allow themselves to play at a at a quicker speed, and and that's on purpose, obviously. But I think what has made um, Arsenal so fun to watch and so effective, and and to this point, still have only lost two games in the, in the entire season. 
Um, or is it, it might be three games now, actually. I think about it. But uh, <laughs> but that what's made them so successful, in my opinion, is just that they can play against any type of team and in any type of way. To you, I'm, I'm curious if, if you have an opinion. I'm, I'm sure you do have an opinion on this, but I'm just curious where your thoughts are on if you think that that makes them a better quote unquote, like Premier League team versus a Champions League or Europa League team. Because we talked about how you think City are very much primed for being a quote unquote, better Champions League team because of Erling Holland and because of him being able to show up in those moments. Do you think that almost means Arsenal are better suited over a 38 game run? Uh, hard to say. I mean, I guess I, I guess you could, if you wanted to extrapolate about how how they went out to to um, Sporting, is that they ultimately they couldn't, couldn't grab enough control of that game. Um, whereas City, in basically each of their uh, legs against Leipzig, and you saw in a, in a lot of their games this season in general, even in the league, that they play that very very controlled way because Pep is terrified for whatever reason more than any other season uh, about counterattacks and leveraging more on those moments which they can create a lot of those moments because they're so fantastic players they can create a lot of those opportunities for for um really good chances even when they play much slower and that might be more conducive right that might be more conducive to a knockout form rather than over the entire season when you know everyone gets game tape on you in the entire in the league and it's and and they they're able to to pick out your tendencies a lot more and i think city are just a bit more predictable in the way they play um they're about as effective as at any other time right? as as any other season that they have not really dropped off in terms of how much they can dominate games but they're more predictable i think this season and um, from an Arsenal point of view, I think we'll see next season if that if this is a more difficult way to play in Europe. I personally don't think it is. I think that you could probably attribute a lot of um, the failures against Sporting to, you know, Arsenal didn't quite play their best 11 in both legs, right? And that game would have been handled and managed in a much different way that um if this if it was champions league yeah i think that's completely fair i mean we'll we'll see next season uh for sure and i wonder if that that's somewhat intentional with the sporting piece i i i actually wondered that after the the penalties but it it wasn't the right time to bring it up to arsenal fans so <laughs> let that kind of go um one thing that has been interesting it has been an interesting conversation around the league has been certainly a comparison with Bakayo Saka to other wingers around the world. And I sent you a little bit about kind of a breakdown of how Bakayo compares to different like prominent wingers, right? Vinicius being the, the biggest one that comes to mind. Um, I don't know if Neymar was on that list, given that he's been, been out for a while now already, but it's been interesting now that he is the, only Premier League player with 10 plus goals and 10 plus assists um, in the Premier League this this season. Obviously, Erling Holland has had 
I don't know how many goals does he score in the Prem now? 28, I think something ridiculous. Um, he's obviously going to go on and break some sort of record at some point in his career. If he hasn't already, I think the big question mark, honestly, just sidebar, I wonder if he will actually end up breaking the Premier League goal scoring record because there's a part of me that thinks he might not actually be in the Premier League for that long, depending on where he wants to go. But yeah, you know. yeah, I, I yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of with you. I, don't, I I I personally don't think he'll be with City for longer than four seasons. Um, but you know, what's fifty times four? Uh, he's, gonna <laughs> he's, gonna, he's gonna get close. He's gonna he's gonna get close. Fifty times four. <laughs> That's outrageous. Okay, um, but I guess what I'm leading to with this Sokin and Holland discussion is we're starting to maybe sift through who Player of the Year might be, and you put this in the notes as well. But I'm curious to get your take on who you think has had a better season. And I think the obvious one might be Erling Holland because of just how outrageous the the numbers are. But there has to be something said about like Bukayosaka's progression, especially since essentially the Euros. Yeah, I I, I think this one is so difficult. Um you said it, Bukayosaka's had a fantastic season. Like this has been his best season so far. He's still only twenty one. He really looks like he's He's already let's one of the three best wingers in the world, let's say, right? And he's looking like very close to to one. And you could argue it. Like, I, I, anyone wants to bring an argument to me, I I would totally accept it. <laughs> but um, twelve goals, ten assists, uh, top ten in the league in expected goals and expected assists per ninety, um, shot creating actions and and successful take ons. And then you look at where he's the best in the league at. Um, he's first in terms of goal-creating actions, progressive passes received, this carries into the penalty area, and his chance-creating carries, which is um, just huge in the way that Arsenal play, right? And the amount of times that they, as, as you saw from his progressive passes, uh, receptions, stats, he, the amount of times that they get him the ball and he is so integral to moving it from whether it's the middle third to the attacking third, depending on where he picks it up the ball, or it's from the attacking third into the penalty box. All of that, moving the entire team forward, moving the defenders back, creating space just with the ball, just by running at defenders and, and with the ball at his feet. He's... He's gotta be like a very, like very, very, very heavily considered as the as player of the year for this season. Um, it just is so difficult <laughs> to look at the Norwegian droid and see twenty eight goals and five assists of his own um, in the league, forty two goals in all competitions. <laughs> And he's leading the league in terms of goals and assists um, per 90 and, and ex expected goals per 90, as you would expect. And like I said last week, he's a, f a phenomenon. Um, he's literally a phenom. Uh, and it's just really hard not to give him the Player of the Year award, um, especially when it seems like he's going to break the, the record for goals in a Premier League season. Uh, and there's a chance that he could get to 40 
<laughs> it's it'll be really difficult if he puts up like 35 36 goals i i i would find it hard to argue against giving him <laughs> the player of the year so here's what i hope happens between player of the year and in england they have the, the football writers and the players association player of the year but then they also have the young player of the year let's i'd say holland gets the gets player of the year and saka gets young player of the year or if you want to switch it sure why not but <laughs> i i think that's what needs to happen at the end of the season because overall i think they have been the two best players in the league and so i think they should both win um uh, an award that that you know kind of um accentuates that and if they don't win the award you know, i'm still saying they're the two best players they were the two best players in the league this season and the I, don't, award, I don't think or whatever yeah no one's going to disagree with you on them being two of the best players in the in the league i'm really curious about you leaving martin odegaard out of the conversation because back in the end of the year as an end of 2022 we were having a pretty heavy conversation about how Martin Odegaard is so integral to this Arsenal team. Obviously, Bakayo gets, I'm calling him Bakayo like he's my friend, but like <laughs> Saga gets so much love and attention because of him being kind of either a final pass or a final shot that does lead to a goal. And I thought his performance against, <clears throat> excuse me, Crystal Palace was outstanding. So taking nothing away from him at all. But at the same time, we're talking about a player in Martin Odegaard who was at some point, I don't know if he still is, but leading the team in shot creating actions. And that can't also be completely undone. And for a team that is top of the league, I think it's fairly important to to mention Martin Odegaard in that conversation as well. Unless oh, yeah, you just absolutely. think I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, look, at the time that we were talking about it, I think I want to say it was January. Uh, and I, I still think that he... Like at worst, he's probably been Arsenal's second best player in the league, uh, second best player in this in the entire season, really. But uh, I think when you kind of, I've watched a lot of, of these Arsenal games in the last, well, for almost the entire season, but especially when we're looking at the last few weeks, that kind of uh, breaking the deadlock goal or just important goal to wide in the margin of the lead. Bukayo Saka has been the one who's delivered that recently. And 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 if you want to call it some recency bias for me, then I've, after me explaining it like that, fair enough. Fair enough. There's some um, a bit there, right? But uh, I think that overall, the impact of Bukayo Saka is just the slightest bit more uh than than martin odegaard and and i really mean that like slightest slightest bit when talking about like they're how integral they are to the way arsenal play right um and and arsenal have been truly blessed to not have either of those two injured for a like significant amount of time even like three weeks <laughs> uh they haven't had that so i i'm happy that we've gotten to watch both of them play pretty much the entire season but I'm just going to give Saka that little bit of an edge. And uh, I, I'm 
I will happily say that Martin Odegaard has been the third best player in the league. If, you, if that's what you want me to say. <laughs> and and quite honestly, I don't think Arteta will give a flying fuck of, of who has been first, second, or third as long as they win the league, quite honestly. So I think that's super fair. And and you mentioned a point about injuries, and I just want to mention like a bit of luck. And maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's conditioning. Maybe there's there's elements that we don't fully understand from a medical standpoint. But seven of Arsenal's first choice, uh, 11, have played in every single Premier League minute this season. and. Odegaard and Partey, I think, were the the two that kind of stood out as potential injuries, and they've missed just one and five games, respectively, and nine of their 11 starters have actually been constantly available. So that is, I'll be quite frank, that is very lucky to, to have your first choice 11 basically almost always around. Um, so that's, a, that's a very fair point. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and that ties into to what... I think I brought up a little while ago in terms of like the luck that Arsenal have had. I mean, I, I didn't mention the injuries at the time, but um, I had mentioned more of just like them actually winning games that they played really well in, which is not a, not necessarily the norm in this sport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the injury part also hugely lucky, lucky, right? Like, and, and, this is not like a slight on Arsenal at all. It wasn't a slight what I said what I said a little while ago, and it's not a slight here either from either of us. I think that that this injury luck you need a lot of luck to win a league title. Like you need a lot of luck in pretty much every sport to actually end up winning the championship at the end. And injury luck is constant in every sport that you need to win a championship at the end, right? Uh, but it, it is really been the major difference between um i think arsenal and, and city in this season's that injury luck um it, it's been one of the major differences i don't think city have been necessarily destroyed by injuries and i think you still argue that city's rotation options are much better than arsenal's right now <laughs> so uh, they definitely wouldn't feel it as much even if they did have some injury issues so yeah also i've been lucky they're, they're it's it's Great to be good. I think I said this before too, but it's no shit it, genius. <laughs> it's it's great to to be good, to be like a good team and have good players. That's great. That's awesome. That'll that'll definitely get you far. Um, <laughs> but it's optimal to be great and lucky, <laughs> and that will usually True. win you trophies. <laughs> that's uh, that's honestly, I feel like that just was an iconic line coming from you. I I really appreciate that. I'm gonna look back on that in a couple of years and be like. That was very true. It seems obvious, but it was very true. Uh, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on. I get. I l- listen. At least let me roast you like once in a blue moon, because you usually do it to me. Again, let's move on. Um, probably a player that won't maybe win an award at the end of the season, but one that I think you and I look. I talked about him two years ago, so jot that down. Um, let's talk about the flowers that you want to hand out to a certain Newcastle individual. I'll let you do the honors, but my half Eritrean background is uh, is dancing while you go through this. So please, yeah, it's it's Alexander Isak. It's it's a guy who is seemingly now quite healthy, quite fit for Newcastle. Um, who started the last two games and has just kind of shown you that potential of like, oh, that's where this club is going like with a player like this and having a few more players like him around. He's just so special, like with his feet. Um, 
the the way he's able to carry the ball for someone at his size and you know, I was watching the game against their game against Forest and oh man does he just make things so much easier for the team and his teammates by the fact that it's so hard to get the ball off of him but that he also can dribble into space you don't necessarily need to pass it to him into space. He can dribble into space and relieve some of that pressure and then lay it off and, and show great link up play as well. Uh, and he got his brace against Forrest. He got a goal last week against uh, Wolves. And when you look at kind of what the potential could be and the difference when he's in the side specifically is that small sample size, very small sample size, but of players newcastle players who have played at least 600 minutes he has the most attacking most touches in the attacking penalty box and that kind of you see it a lot when he has a ball outside the box honestly how useful he can be for for a team there but then you look at like the finishes that he's had in the last couple weeks and how often he is in and around the final action in the box. Um, he had a great finish against, uh, it was Wolves, or he had a great finish against Wolves with a header, and then and then uh, another great finish against Forrest where there was that cross and the ball's like behind him and his gangly legs are able to reach back and still, and get a, and um, get really good contact on the ball and, and put it into the far corner. And he just kind of shows you every side of his game but when he's fit, he shows you all sides of his game. And, man, that guy's just going to be a, a really special player if he can stay fit. Look, I think the big thing with him, I'm not even going to add to anything you said because it's all true. Like, I've I've seen him for Sociedad for two years before this, and quite frankly, he's, he's amazed me most times that he's played. And I was surprised to see him even come to Newcastle in the first place. But at the end of the day money kind of talks so and and not saying like that's a you didn't go there for cheap decision. 60 million that's no. <laughs> it feels like a like, fair like, it feels like it's going to be a pretty reasonable price um in the not too distant future yeah exa exactly right and so for sociedad uh, it makes sense but i i'm just excited to see him hopefully knock on wood get a full season and i would look i would love to see him play in the champions league or at the very least the europa league which i think we might see next season, but I, I, I just hope he gets a full season. Like I, I truly, that's all I want. That's all I want. Um, but anyway, shout out Alexander Isak. Rian, let's wrap up and talk a little bit about what is going on with uh, a crystal palace team that I mentioned this to you before. I think when we were on a break prior to their game against Arsenal did not have a shot on target in three consecutive games. Do you know how incredibly bad that is? I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but like <laughs> that is so horrendously poor to not have one single shot on target. Like, is this team just so desperately missing or were they so desperately missing Zaha and they just could figure out how to attack or like, 
was Patrick Vieira just well, he was in, that, Zaha played that. in all of those yeah Zaha played in all those games <laughs> well, they, like, I, I should clarify like a fully fit Zaha because I don't know if he was fully fit but but yes Fair. he was in all of them yeah yeah he started in all of them um it he, you you just kind of explain I, I look I know that in the past I've said yeah shots on target they can be kind of noisy but how many shots on target in a game but uh uh no i'm gonna say if you don't do it if you don't get a single one in three straight games that is definitely concerning <laughs> like that alarm bells are definitely going off there uh that's not just noise <laughs> but i i i think overall what you've seen from palace this season is they are really competitive in a lot of games they're not i mean that arsenal game is the first time I can remember the season where they got kind of completely blown out. They played City the week before and lost because, you know, Michael Elise was trying to defend in his own box and gave away a penalty. And then they was 1-0 <laughs> in that game. And, and we've seen in the past against other top sides, they they got draws against um, United. They you have lost by really only one goal at most to the other top sides. So the defending has not really been the issue. Their issue has been the goal side of it um, and kind of the chance creation side of it. And you touched on it a little bit there. Um, and just to kind of dive deeper into it. Also, that was four straight losses for, for Crystal Palace. And 13 straight games without a win. And you add that <laughs> into... The fact that they have scored the fewest goals this season of any Premier League team. They have the second lowest XG in the league. And overall, they've got the fourth worst expected goal difference per game in the league. This has been a terrible season overall. Um, and the fact that they cannot create is a good enough reason to sack Patrick Vieira. Um so as we kind of think about it they've pretty good defensive team cannot score don't create chances in a in a good way um or consistently due to their playing style coaching whatever it is and so what is the most obvious solution it's to hire roy hodgson a manager who is known for having pretty good defensive teams and having difficulties actually creating chances and scoring goals. <laughs> you got to make it make sense to me. <laughs> I understand that Roy Hodgson is, um, has coached Palace in the past, and I think he's he was a coach over their most successful tenure in the Premier League where they were in the league for four straight seasons before they moved on to Patrick Vieira. Um, but... Roy Hodgson is in his mid-70s and retired last year and not necessarily retired going out, uh, going into the sun. Like he was Watford's manager last year, brought in to save them from relegation and they went down (laughs) and, and, um, he just looked like, uh, a leisurely senior citizen who was enjoying his last few months before retirement. Uh, and now he'll get, he'll get a paycheck for another 
to two couple months um and then go back into retirement i suppose <laughs> i am just not sure if almost anything that he does is going to help them actually stay up that is the downside the upside is they are in the elimination chamber with eight other teams so <laughs> No one actually has to be good to stay up, realistically. <laughs> you just have to not lose every single game for the rest of the season. Potentially, four points from any of these teams might actually be enough to keep them in the division. <laughs> like, it's, it sounds crazy, but even, even um, I believe it's Bournemouth down in, down in last, down in 20th, you could tell me that they end with 27 points this season, which is the exact amount of points that Crystal Palace are on right now, and that will keep them safe. I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen at the bottom. <laughs> it's really hilarious. Maybe nine teams separated by four points, and basically there will be no Premier League game for the rest of the season. There will be almost no Premier League games for the rest of the season where – both teams have nothing to play for. Pretty much everyone's going to have a hand in the relegation battle, whether you are actually one of those nine teams or not. Um, and um, a lot of teams are going to have those same relegation level teams are going to have a pretty huge say on who finishes third, fourth, and probably first. Yep. Yeah. It's all going to come down to the last day, but um, as it relates to Crystal Palace, at least, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the lovely tweet I sent you. It was basically a guy that tweeted in May of 2021. Um, like it's finally over by, by Hodgson. Like, thank you. Like, thank God, basically. And then same individual March 20th of 2023. So today, basically two years on it's the, uh, breaking bad meme meme where he's yelling out of the car window and, uh, yeah, so that to give you a sense of what that kind of might mean to Crystal Palace fans, I honestly don't know why they didn't just bring in whoever, I don't know who this individual is, but whoever might be slash have been the interim slash assistant manager under Patrick Vieira, I guess, like because nothing will realistically change unless they view Hodgson as a potential way of getting out of the relegation battle quicker. That's the only potential... That's Robin. that's the only thing that would be a an a uh, acceptable acceptable um, reason <laughs> because and, and even that as I just said I don't I think it's hugely flawed <laughs> I think that is I think we have um, evidence less than twelve months ago that that is not necessarily a guarantee so we'll see nope it's not well we'll leave it there Rian we'll talk all about. This upcoming uh, set of games in in the international break this next couple days um, probably won't be back to talk anything much related to those games, but we'll probably preview the Champions League, probably preview whatever is to come in the remaining FA Cup games as well as well as the Copa del Rey games, um, and yeah, we got still some some footy to talk about. Anyway, with that being said, thank you all as always. Um, thank you all as always for listening and we will talk to you all soon. Thanks guys.